Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Casper and Eero. I'm Simone Rochefort. I'm a video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined today by Brianna Wu, Democratic candidate for Congress, and special guest listener Jeff Wong. And I want you to tell me something else about yourself. Tell the audience what you do and why you're here. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be here. I'm super honored and excited. I've been a fan uh, and a listener since episode number one. And uh, basically, um, it's funny, Christina Warren and I worked together at Microsoft, but I actually knew her from Rocket before I knew her at Microsoft. And uh, we got to know each other when we were working in similar teams. And, um, you know, uh, and <laughs> it, uh, as you heard from previous episodes, she's traveling on business. And in a completely separate um, situation, Brianna was traveling in Bay Area and reached out to me. And I simply assumed that Christina said, hey, you know, Jeff, he works no. in AI, which no, is... No, I make my own decisions without Christina's wow. input. Right, yeah. right. So when, when I met up with <laughs> Brianna, I was like, oh, hey, it was nice for you to reach out. And then, Brie, you can tell me about your decision-making process. But then, well, after our lunch, um, Brie said, hey, we're down to Christina, and we would like someone to fill in. Would you be interested? And I was like, yes, I'm super excited to. See, dreams can come true, Rocket listeners. All <laughs> you true. have to do is when we want to hang out with you, say yes, and you can appear on this very podcast. And the great thing about that intro is it also served as a disclaimer uh, for your history with Microsoft, because we yes. will be discussing Microsoft today. We're talking about Microsoft Edge, uh, rest in pieces, and also uh, some of the Facebook documents yes. that have come out of the recent lawsuit. Are uh, you which an is edge hater, Simone? Are you on the record as being an edge hater? An edge hater? Well, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that I used edge enough to hate it. <laughs> but, but we'll get into that <laughs> later. But wishing it dead, and you're. you're I, well, I said we don't dance in on the pieces. I, I to, want to, it. I to want be it clear, to be. We don't definitely know it's dead. It's more. Uh, hints right now, but it's nothing. Nothing is official. Well, alleged rest in peace. Yes, rest in alleged peace. Oh, oh so my god! I thought we get to the timestamp Facebook <laughs> factory report <laughs> nine million. <laughs> Please breathe. <laughs> timestamp for one minute and 17 seconds i'm writing yeah. it down i'm writing it down <laughs> <laughs> let's get to the newest uh let's get to the fun okay. what horrible stuff has happened this week simone here is the extreme fun it's actually the juiciest fun the uk uk's parliament has released 250 glorious pages of documents from facebook most of which cover how Facebook handles user data, which, as you know, as, as Rocket listeners, is our favorite thing to talk about, is how <laughs> no. Facebook no. handles data. Um, and there, there's loads of f- stuff to get out of these documents, first of all. Um, number one story is, of course, how Mark Zuckerberg personally approved revoking Vine's access to friend-finding data. Mark Zuckerberg yes. killed Vine. That's the headline I want everyone to run with. Uh, <laughs> but first, I wanted to kind of toss things over to Jeff for a little background on the case um, and how the documents came to light. Because these these come from a suit that was filed by a developer who 
actually made an app for finding bikini photos on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and the, the suit alleges anti-competitive practices by Facebook. But the story of how the documents came to be released by Parliament is incredibly interesting. So, Jeff, yeah, could you so tell strange. us about that a bit? Thank you, Simone. Well, um, just a quick disclosure. Um, I actually own some Facebook stock. Um, which has treated me very well generally until the last six months where it has not treat, treated me very badly. But just oh. FYI, I, I am co- potentially biased. Also, I happen to live in Menlo Park and literally within walking distance of the, um, the, the conference room that Sheryl Sandberg has for personal use that is literally named Good News Only, which oh, an employee God. told me was a hilarious joke because, you know, she's like, only bring good news in here. Obviously, she is... <laughs> a very um, powerful COO, and she knows that she needs to hear bad news. But you know. what a hilarious <laughs> joke! Oh yeah, that's literally the name of her conference room. Good news. Uh, <laughs> so you can walk by and shake your fist at them. The other I, funny except, thing too is yeah. I've walked by it because I have friends at Facebook, and um, they, it's literally like a completely glass-walled um, conference room. So I always wonder if they're doing some stu- super sensitive with like, you know, an M&A or something, what, do they like paper it up? So it is a funny thing where internally they are very much about transparency, but we'll get to that in a moment. But anyway, that's my disclosure. I can walk to Facebook. I have friends there and I have been inside the belly of the beast. But back to the story that, that, um, uh, that Simone was talking about. So Obviously, there's been tons of scandal and news and headlines and pressure about Facebook. But just today, as we record on Wednesday, um, a a dump of 250 pages of internal emails have come out. But how did they come out and why does the UK Parliament have them? Well, first of all, the Parliament has been... Uh, sort of uh, wrangling with um, uh, Facebook leadership because Mark Zuckerberg has, despite repeated requests, not come to testify. Um, But so they did a funny uh, end run. So going back to uh, the app developer that Simone was talking about, it was a company called 643. And I don't think that this app still exists. And I'm glad because it sounds a little creepy. Basically, (laughs) it allows you to locate Facebook photos of people who wear bikinis. So this is, and then that, that led to so a lawsuit. Creepy. That is so, it's, so unbelievably creepy. It really is. I just have it's to say. It's literally a lawsuit about bathing suits. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, that, I couldn't help it. No, it's, oh, I don't even want to, yeah. Well, like, and I don't, uh, okay, so what happened was Ted Kramer is a managing director of this app developer called 643. And he has been in uh, litigation with Facebook, nothing to do with the UK, but just with Facebook about some of their permissions that of the data that's allowed back and forth between the app and Facebook, et cetera. And this has been going on for a number of years. Well, it seems that he was trying to drum up interest among media outlets, including BuzzFeed, and The Guardian, The Observer, a couple of other sites to get them to come out with pieces um, that would either help the, the app developers PR or maybe even file amicus briefs on the part of, uh, you know, the app developer. Well, in that process, uh, it seems that uh, I won't go into the speculation. There's a speculative part, but I'll just start with the facts. The facts, is, facts are that um, at some point in the last few months, he was on um, he was traveling in, uh, in London for business. I think this was uh, just a few weeks ago. I, it was either late October or November. And while he was there, 
um, he was served with a summons from the British Parliament, specifically the um, House of Commons Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee, the DCMS Committee. And the head of the committee is a man named uh, Damien Collins. And so Damien Collins, like somehow there was there was a um, first there was a request sent to the app developer uh, that was uh, Ted Kramer's uh, hotel room. Then he didn't respond. He didn't know what to do. Basically saying, hand <laughs> over these unredacted emails. Well, yeah, yeah, well, then yeah. the next step was then an envelope, a hand-delivered envelope was slipped under his door. And that was like, and he was like, what, what's this? And he still didn't reply. And then in a very unusual move, the House of Commons sent a sergeant at arms and came and basically said, you must come with us. And they marched him to the House of Commons. And then for two hours, I think without legal counsel, they said, um, here are all the fines that you're going to pay if you do not comply with the um, the DCMS uh, committee's uh, request for this. So what he did was he took out a USB drive or, and he plugged it in. He downloaded the legal documents of the... By the way, these documents are under seal in the United States according to court order in the US. But it's not clear that that, uh, that covers uh, the UK jurisdiction. But then... So, so he, yeah. But go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, line, no, go ahead, Sabrina. Let's bottom line this for yeah. people. I mean, basically, they went through... They really used some extraordinary efforts to yes. go through, get this information. Yes. They also... Uh, you know, there is uh, some talk that, even as we're going to uh, record tonight, there's some talk that uh, a reporter was actually behind uh, kind of pointing... You know, parliament towards these documents. So they've come out, they are beyond damning for Facebook. And mm. one of the biggest things to come out today, um, I, Simone, it takes a lot to shock me when it comes to Facebook. And it takes a lot to make me go, okay, Facebook is going to be our number one topic again on Rocket because I'm tired of talking about this stuff. But this is really shocking to the point that someone needs to go to jail for this. So it came out tonight in looking through these documents that Facebook specifically engineered their app update on the, the Android platform. So if you accepted the app update, uh, it specifically did not give you the dialogue, giving it permission to access your call history. I want to say that to you one more time. Facebook specifically engineered their app update so that when you were giving it permission to install the update, which was mandatory, that it would not prompt you that Facebook would be stealing your entire call history. And in Facebook's own documents, they said this is very high risk from a PR perspective. And the company is still like, nope, we've got to move forward. Mm-hmm. We've got to get this information. And I, I want to know from both of you, like, this is, that is shocking, even for Facebook. Like, that is someone needs to go to jail. Shocking. I mean, am I wrong? The way that I feel about it, I think Motherboard said it really well in their write-up, is that this, what this basically shows is that Facebook is very cognizant about how people use their platform and also about how their goal is to funnel in as much information as possible, not to sell, as Facebook would say, but just get as much as possible because it is valuable. It is truly valuable. And I feel like being in a company where the growth team is pushing you and saying, "We, even though this is a high-risk PR move, we want to scrape these call logs. And we here is a way that it can be done without prompting users to go through the permission dialogue. What a hassle that is. I feel like being in 
an environment where like that is the drive to get information, to get it as easily as possible, to get as much of it as possible, that it could be that that you could come to that decision without ever necessarily considering the ramifications of what yeah. that means for privacy and for data. Um, I'm not not to give them a pass, not giving them a pass at all. But I think that within it's almost like an it, it seems like an alternate universe environment. These yeah. discussions yeah. about like, oh yeah, we can do this. We 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 should find a way to do this without prompting this right. This to come growth up. at all cost. Growth at all costs. How do you feel about it, Jeff? I have a background as a product manager, and I understand the tensions between wanting to have a smooth user onboarding and a smooth low friction product experience, and balancing that with the corporate need to you know get people into your network. However, I also strongly believe that um, that technology companies should be guided by a view of ethics of what what the right way of treating customers and users are. So I think it's funny. There are some people for whom it's just very easy. Like say you just, this is a hundred percent wrong. And I, 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 I'm very open to that perspective. I believe that as a citizen, but I also have worked inside companies where, you know, it's all about growing users. It's all about smoothing the product experience. So I can see how they ended up in this situation, but I think you also have a more of a responsibility when you become such a large company to really think about this. And I honestly think, and I say this as a longtime Facebook cheerleader and bull, that I don't know if the company has the capacity right now, given its mission and its self-view, to to get out of the the quandary it's in. But I have to push back on that a little bit. And we're friends, so polite disagreement. You know, this isn't what Kara Swisher called in the New York Times, like nerds who have lost their way. Yeah. You know, this is one of the largest companies on earth. Yes. And I don't see how this is not a violation of the CFAA. You know, here in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, one of the most famous cases here in Massachusetts was Aaron Schwartz. Yes. Uh, Aaron Schwartz, like a hacker guy, he went into MIT, used their subscription to download a lot of scientific journals uh, through MIT subscription and released it onto the internet. There's a lot of discussion out there about whether the case was prosecutorial overreach. I personally feel like it was. They threatened him with 35 years in jail. He ultimately pled guilty and ended up serving six. If Aaron Schwartz had to answer for that crime, you tell me why Facebook can steal. And steal is the correct word because they're specifically engineering this to not get their consent. Steal that much information from the 2 billion Android users all around the world and how the law doesn't apply to them. I understand the user growth argument, but this is a crime. Mm. I don't have a pushback against that. I think you make a very (laughs) strong case. Uh, I'm sure there are legalistic arguments they could use, such as which domicile is, whose laws have jurisdiction. Um, For example, the CFFA is, I don't know, I'm not sure if, was that a state or federal statute? Uh, it's federal here in the United okay, States. Okay, so if it's yeah. federal, then yes, obviously, all you know, everywhere. Actually, I'm not sure because that okay. was prosecuted at the local level. That's a really good question. But, but again, but, that's yeah, a legalistic yeah, yeah. thing. I mean, sure. 
to the extent that laws like GDPR in the EU are, you know, applied more and more around around the world. I mean, there is a talk. Um, th- there is talk that uh, just as the environment wasn't a big issue until sometime in the 60s with Rachel Carson and Silent Springs, suddenly there was a change in mass consciousness and political will as to what was acceptable. I wonder if 2018 will be that watershed year where there's a coalition in the United States, for example, between um, you know conservatives and liberals and Republicans and Democrats to say, hey, this is not right. Um, I don't know. Um, I do think the EU is taking leadership on this. Yeah. And having worked at large companies like it makes sense if you're going to comply with the EU regulations, not just on what happens inside its borders, but to EU citizens wherever they may be traveling. It makes sense for companies to respect that all the way around the world. But as mm-hmm. we always know, there's the legalistic argument, but there's also the ethical argument. And I'm 100% with you on the ethical argument. I feel like this is such a, a difficult issue to iron out. And I feel like on a government level is where we're going to have to deal with it because I, I've mentioned before i feel like people who are involved in like developing new technologies should probably also be trained in ethics and philosophy but that doesn't necessarily apply to this situation at all like the the developers taking ethics classes wouldn't have mattered at all because it's the growth and the interests of the company that are pushing this forward it's it's the nature of a company to need to grow because of capitalism. So like the only way to check that, I think, is on a government level. Oh, I, I completely agree. And, you know, this is where I would, I would say this, uh, to your earlier point, Jeff, uh, because your rights man is absolutely on, on a government level to that end. Um, you know, I just spent a week and a half in Silicon Valley. I talked to a lot of small business owners. One of them was uh, our sponsor on the show, Smile. Um, and I heard so much, uh, like the European privacy laws have gone through. We all agree that we've got to take a step forward on this. But everyone I talked to, particularly small business owners, were talking about the undue burden this uh, European law puts on them to the point where a lot of companies I met with last week have been forced to pull out of Europe. So us kind of abandoning this and not being proactive on these issues has created a situation where it's like you said, Europe is leading the world on this. Mm. It isn't always great for American companies, including Facebook. So I really think the only answer to this, like I'm very sympathetic, Simone, when you say, uh, you know, engineers need to take more uh, you know, humanities classes. I strongly agree with that. But the ultimate answer really is going to be regulation. Yeah, yeah, because it's not, it's prob- much like climate change. Yeah. <laughs> we can recycle all we want, but one person is not going to be the. The, br- the 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 change, you know, hundred percent agree. It's a systemic world. issue. It's not right. just individual. Yeah. Which, as a side note, was one of my issues with Lean In because there's a systemic issue with sexism in tech industries specifically, but industries generally. And so, leaning in can help individual women, but that doesn't solve the problem exactly. for yeah, you know, Cheryl Sandberg. <laughs> Although I do really appreciate her because I say lean in constantly. <laughs> 
And she gave me one of the most long-lasting memes of my life. Oh, my gosh. So I want to talk about the other Facebook story here, yeah, which I think was – was this is the one that really blew me away. Uh, this was – it was a Motherboard article, correct, with uh, – you know, uh, Ryan Mack, uh, basically talking about Facebook's, uh, trouble with employee retention. So, mm-hmm. oh, I believe that was went, BuzzFeed. Yes, you're correct. Charlie Warzel and Ryan Mack. BuzzFeed. Char- Charlie Warzel is an amazing reporter. Yes, he uh, is. So they got access to, uh, the basically, uh, insider logs at Facebook and also, um, what's the name of the app where it lets blind. people, yeah, blind. Uh, they've actually pitched topics to the show before. They're a pretty good company. Uh, and basically went through there and started looking at what employees were saying. And there's a real war at Facebook, uh, for employees to stay there or leave. Uh, what this article points out is a lot of the culture where people feel pressured to basically stay silent. In fact, one employee is saying like, look, if you speak out about this company, you're, you're dead. And all you can do is kind of smile and go along. With that being the culture there, it is utterly not surprising to me how we ended up in this mess. Like, you know, like, it's not really a funny joke what you're saying, Jeff, about the, like, good newsroom, because Mm. that's the very problem uh, Facebook employees are reporting. Yeah, it's, I, I, it's very hard. I I think you get a, a small taste of this, no matter what company you're working in. But especially in, in media, I think, you know, you're, your company or somebody related to your company publishes an article that gets dragged online and you're like, man, how do I contend with working at this place today? Like the people are, people think it's a piece of (laughs) S company. I almost swore I'm going to have to put it. I I swore enough that I am going to have to put a timestamp in there, but, but this is on a whole nother level where, you know, that your CEO is testifying before Congress and millions of people are having their call log data stolen. I cannot imagine how difficult it must be to just be a run-of-the-mill employee at Facebook. That must be so demoralizing. So I'm totally not shocked that they're having retention issues. So I think there's an ethical, but uh, a, a human resources and a, a systemic issue, right? So, and I always try to go to systems if possible. Like ethically, again, I feel like, it is not great when employees uh, feel like they're construct, uh, uh, constrained like this on an individual level. Uh, from an HR perspective, you know, Facebook has been uh, has been on the offensive, as they said on CNBC today, for many years, and now they're on the defensive, which is really important because uh, it's very tight labor market here. Um, a lot of people who join Facebook isn't just because of the, comp- the financial compensation, which is significant, but because they believe in the mission. These are people who have a lot mm-hmm. of other options. And if it begins to feel like you lose that halo, that can cause real problems uh, in terms of talent retention and acquisition. But the third part is the systems issue, which, you know, interestingly, uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, famously has, um, even though he ha- owns less than 20% of the overall equity um, he owns like more, like still close to sixty percent, definitely more than fifty percent of the voting equity, which mm-hmm. means basically alone among um, companies that size, uh, uh, that public stature, literally no one on the planet can tell him what to do. No board, no shareholder. Um, I mean, the only people who have influence on him in our theory are uh, customers in the form of advertisers 
or users. And frankly, their network effect, I think, is still strong enough that that gives him independence. And so that means that employees may be the only prod that may force him to change his mind about certain things. Oh, oh, I think you're dead on. And, you know, I mean, Jeff, when I saw you lived in Menlo Park, I just assumed you worked at Facebook because everybody I know <laughs> like uh, lives there and works there. I have to ask you, though, and I, I want to preface this by saying I know plenty of women in tech that yeah. I deeply respect and I care about personally, and I want to see them thrive and succeed. But I would also be honest and say some of the people I personally know that work at Facebook really frighten me. Um, like, you know, when you know people in the tech industry, it's like, I get it when I meet somebody that works at Apple at a party and they're very secretive about which team they work on. That's fine. I get that. That's the culture. I understand it's a little bit the same with Google, but Facebook really, the people I know that work there really scare me with their kind of, the way that the people I know have done well in their careers and they're such cheerleaders for Facebook and just cannot admit these issues or even talk about like the Russian interference in our election. Have you seen that at all, Jeff? Do you, do you mean like they sort of have the, um, the, the they have like a, a converts zealotry, you know, like, yeah. like they're just true believers. Yeah. Pollyanna. Every issue yeah, is exactly yeah. like the uh, article actually, said. Yeah. It's funny. That's a great phrase. I think uh, Ben Thompson's trajectory literally said the Pollyanna-ish assumption which is yeah. they believe that uh, you know the mission making the world more open and connected is is a good literally in and of itself um, and literally through Facebook. Um, it actually reminds me of Microsoft's old slogan, a company mission from uh, the '80s, which is a computer on every desk and in every home. And in the earlier version, which was even scarier, was a computer on every desk and in every home, all running Microsoft software, ah. <laughs> which. Is a little scary and world dominating, but it had the benefit of being super clear, especially in an era when that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And by the same token, Facebook has that same motto. Like for the longest time, I, I laughed because um, I would LinkedIn stalk Mark Zuckerberg and he had a very minimal profile because he didn't really need to be on LinkedIn. Yeah. But all he had was the motto was my goal to make the world more open and more connected. But it's okay to answer your question, Bree. I have a number of friends and a few close friends who work there, but they were for, they didn't go there right out of school. They joined a little bit later and I feel like they were more formed and, you know, I'm biased because they're my friends. I feel like they're more thoughtful about these things. They don't buy that as much, but then again, they don't probably have as much power and certainly don't have the longevity of other people. Like this is more from the outside. There's a famous memo that was leaked also by Charlie Warzel, I think at, at, at Buzzfeed. Um, I'm sorry. No, it was Ryan Mack uh, at BuzzFeed. And it was written by a a and, uh, Andrew Bosworth, known as Boz. And he talks, uh, uh, and he's been at the company since like 05 or 06. Uh, um, and he talks about, in this article, he talks about how they don't, the people inside, the employees at Facebook don't question what they're doing because they think it's an automatic good, even if it's not. Mm, um, right. Yeah. And it's a, it's a fascinating article. We should add it to the, sh uh, the show notes. But yeah. 
it he he when this thing when this memo was leaked a few years later like this past summer uh he said hey i didn't really believe everything here i was just trying to be provocative to get people to talk about things and push it back but again going back ben thompson i agree with ben this was actually the problem was that it's like the the um he was he's told the truth at the beginning of the memo like people are true believers all this good work they do on products and everything it doesn't mean anything except what their growth team what they call internally everything by hook or by crook, needed to grow the network to expand the number of users um, was going to was more important than all of it. And then he literally says things like the the, the work we do with user permissions, like uh, uh, like like the example of Android, and then the work we'll have to do in China. <laughs> all of it. So I I have to push back. Yeah, I know we need to get to our next no, no, topic, no, please. but I I have to say this: like the 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 innate mission statement there. I actually don't find Microsoft's statement like putting a computer on the desk of every home. I understand how that can be seen as a little Orwellian, but in the 80s and 90s, you know what? It was actually a real blessing to have a computer in your home, especially with children there. Um, that That is a mission objective I can get behind. As one of the main targets of Gamergate, mm. who really felt the full force of what happens when everybody in the world is more connected mm. and more <laughs> online, including mm. people that hate women and are very organized in their hatred of women and have easy access to all kinds of connected information about people's addresses, people's credit card information, the employees that work at their company. This, I, I would really argue, is an evil vision in and of itself if you don't have the morality or ethical vision to go along with that. A more connected world mm. is the world we are currently fighting right now where Russia is able to interfere in the United States elections. A more connected world is what uh, you know, Dr. Ford faced when she spoke out on Judge Kavanaugh has had to move all these different times. And, you know, I really think we have to push past this idea that it's just nerds have lost their way and they're just good old people. They're just trying to help the user experience. We've got to think a lot deeper. And as an industry, I really mean this, as an industry, we've got to start holding each other to higher standards, higher standards on making sure women and people of color and LGBT people are at the table, higher standards are making sure the decisions you're making are not going to undermine the country you live in, and higher ethical standards about how information is going to be stored and what your cybersecurity vulnerabilities are. We need to be raising our bar and we need to stop giving ourselves a pass. I 100% agree with that. Um, I, you know, and I think part of the reason why our systems work the way they do is because the people in power, the people who have money, I don't mean just the employees, I mean the VCs, the, the, the entrepreneurs and the CEOs yeah. who design these systems, they were not the people who are uh, in vulnerable uh, populations. They're not the ones who have to worry about being harassed online. And therefore, they didn't build it in from day one, building in systems to, to think about that. Um, mm -hmm. Just one little point, and then we should move on, uh, is... Uh, um, one of the many articles that came out was recently uh, a Facebook employee uh, um, uh, oh, 
um, uh, Mark S. Lucky, who had previously worked mm-hmm. for Twitter. Uh, he was an yep. African-American employee. And he had, a, in many ways, a very good time at Facebook. But he also talked about the challenges, both externally, like serving um, Afri- or, or not just African-American, but Black users worldwide. But even internally, and going back to that argument about not having enough voices in the room, he has a quote in this memo that, that went out. was like, there are literally buildings where there are more Black Lives Matters posters than there are Black people. Mm. Yeah. On that uplifting note. (laughs) Our next topic is fun, I promise. Yeah, sure it is. This episode of Rocket (laughs) is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper are the the funkany. They're the company. The company. Listen, they're a company and they are funky. But most of all, they are focused on sleep. And they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. Did you know (laughs) that you spend a third of your life sleeping? Listen, I hope I'm spending that much of my life sleeping. I still need more. I, I feel like I need so much more. But if you spend a third of your life doing anything, you would want to make sure it's the best it could possibly be. And that is why you need Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. <laughs> so, I love you, what, Simone. What goes in to making a Casper mattress so comfortable? Listen, my friends, they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and balance, on which the other night I had a dream about eating roast chicken. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night, no matter what temperature your super decides to set the apartment heat to. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. So, if you are interested in trying this, uh, listen to me! You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver a mattress directly to your door, and if you don't love it, they have a hassle-free return policy. (laughs) So listen, I had a dream... This has less to do with the mattress and more to do with my dream about eating roast chicken. Um, (laughs) I ate somebody's roast chicken. I just ate it. It was a whole chicken. And I was like, just try a little bit. And then I carved up the whole thing and I had to go buy a new freaking chicken um, to roast for this poor person whose chicken I had stolen. The point is, that was a really deep and wonderful sleep that I had on my Casper mattress in which I was, my body was supported and my mind was being fed. And science cannot tell us whether that dream is connected to my Casper mattress. Who can say? But I felt satisfied in that dream <laughs> and I was sleeping on a Casper mattress. Are you interested? You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash rocket and using rocket at checkout terms and conditions apply. They do not guarantee that you will have dreams about eating roast chicken. 
I can Simone, that. you just confessed to planning a crime on this podcast. It like was a dream every, crime, Bree. But that it's like <laughs> I it's it's like, yeah, like I mean, Jeff, you're okay because you live on the other side of the country, but all of us here on this coast, we've got to hide our roast chicken. We've got to like Simone's at your door. You're just gonna steal it. And, I've got no moral compass. The no great roast compass. chicken caper of 2018. T- episode I feel title. Like there's really a culture at Polygon that really enables their employees to steal <laughs> roast chicken. They've lost Polygon, their, their moral yeah, compass. Their moral they're, they're, compass. They're, they've lost their chicken compass. That's right. Once, That's the, right. once we got that garbage table, we couldn't be stopped. That is again <laughs> casper.com slash rocket and the offer code rocket. Thank you so much, Casper, for your support of this show and Relay FM. Do you ever dream about stealing my Porsche? Like, all the time, don't God, yeah. Oh, no. Except I don't get you oh, a no. new one. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you're not very considerate like no, that. No, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> yep. okay. Now listen, there have been wonderful, wonderful rumors. Uh, a story by Win- Windows Central reported that Microsoft is allegedly building a new Chromium browser to replace Microsoft Edge because Edge HTML is lagging so far behind Chromium um, and Google Chrome itself has, as I learned today from Jeff, thank you, Google Chrome has a massive uh, my share of the market compared to other browsers. <laughs> so yeah. tell tell me more about this and what it means basically for um, our rest in pieces default browser of Windows 10. I'm happy to give a little background. And I was actually at Microsoft when Edge was being invested in a lot. I was It was a very Aww. different team. So full disclosure, I worked there, but I'm no longer there. And these opinions are completely my own, which is probably good because Microsoft <laughs> might not like what I have about to, about to That's say. That's not true. Oh, Christina boy. has a gun to his head oh, right no. now. That's, she's, she's secretly she's, been here yes. the whole time. Yes, <laughs> that's true. So um, just to give a little background... Um, uh, back in the day in the 90s, Internet Explorer had huge dominant market share from Microsoft. And uh, that was part of like what led to the antitrust suit between Microsoft and the, the federal government because they had snuffed out Netscape, which used to be the most dominant browser. So there was a period from like, I want to say 98 to maybe 2007, 2008, where IE was the dominant browser. Um what happened was in 0304, Firefox as an open source alternative began gaining some traction. And then Google launched Chrome, I want to say in 08 or 09. Uh, and, you know, um, Apple had Safari, but, you know, uh, on the, it was on a Mac and Mac had tiny desktop share. Well, if you fast forward to August of 2018, which is where we have the stats in terms of desktop web browsers. So to be clear, this is not web uh, um, uh, using your, your, the web on your phone or mm-hmm. smartphone or stuff like that. Chrome has 67% market share now. Wow. And Internet Explorer is down at 7% and Edge is at 4%. So Edge was an attempt to sort of move away from like the legacy of like 15 years worth of Internet Explorer code to build it on a new rendering engine called Edge HTML and to basically bring like sort of bring the same experience that Chrome had brought to other users to a new generation. And it was bundled into Windows 10. It was a big deal. 
Um, unfortunately, it hasn't gotten quite the traction. And to be uh, just to reiterate, this is a rumor. Microsoft has not confirmed this, but uh, Windows Central and I think The Verge and a couple of other outlets have said there are rumors that Edge itself is not necessarily going away, but the swapping out the rendering engine that's used to power it oh. away from the the Edge. Um, HTML rendering engine to Chromium, which is the open source. Um, well, actually, it's probably Blink. So Blink is the is the rendering engine that powers both Chromium and Chrome. And Chromium is the open source version of the Chrome browser. And so the Edge Edge might be used as a front end for for users from their perspective, but the back end engine will be swapping out from Microsoft developed technology to an open source project that's backed by Google. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it, it may be a big deal. It may not be. One other thing is that um, on the mobile side, this actually happened a year ago. Uh, it turns out one year ago, the the the, the version of uh, Edge that you could use on smartphones actually switched from uh, and switched to using Blink uh, for Android phones, which and again Blink is tied to Chromium or. Um, uh, um, oh wait, a WebKit, which is what's used by Apple for its browsers for Safari. Yep. So have, that happened a year ago. The question is, it's what's happening on the desktop now. I have a couple questions. <laughs> One, who are the 7% of people who are still using Internet Explorer? Can you bring them I, here? I, if you ever gone to your them? parents' house, I mean, you know, they're resistant to change. Uh, like, you know? Uh, the second question, more seriously, is... If Edge, if if they improve Edge with Blink, if that is the the route that they're going, how then do they still contend with the image of Edge as something that has these rendering problems and is just not as not as functional as your Chromes, your Firefoxes, your Internet Explorers? Apparently, <laughs> I I think most people don't think deeply about that. I mean, all of us here on Rocket, we have strong feelings about WebKit and, you know, like all these different things. Uh, I think most people, they are just locked into like Google's Gmail tools, right? Uh, Especially through work. And I think they just know when it doesn't work. So Mm -hmm. um, I think people, when they buy like Windows 10, (laughs) they're just expecting their stuff to work. And I don't think that's really what they're currently getting. Mm Mm-hmm. So you think you think somebody buying somebody getting Windows 10 for the first time and finding the Edge being the default browser, an Edge that works, they'll they'll just stick with that and not seek out Chrome. That's well, no, um, or the opposite I think of that. that. I I think that, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, but because uh, doesn't Vox use a lot of uh, Google Gmail suites? Like yeah, I know every do. time I've submitted an article. I've had to go into my Google account, right? Um, Like that's actually a perfect use case, right? Like I didn't use those tools, but I needed to work with the system that the rest of the world did. And that's just simpler through Chrome, right? So I think that's what people uh, think about. I would probably guess the average person using Windows 10 just sees the E icon and doesn't know the difference in Edge and Internet Explorer. That would be my guess. Okay. I have to say that was pretty clever, right? For them yeah. to just uh, yeah. swap it out. Yeah, if you use a window machine, it just says E. It doesn't say IE for Internet Explorer. It, it is, but they don't realize it's Edge. I, I will say, actually, 
it goes to show the tensions that happen in a large company because on the one hand, there is the browser team that is wanting to grow market share there and have it tied into the benefits for Bing and there's related online service on the one hand. But then there's the, the Windows and the PC team that says, we just want the best experience for customers outside of the, bo- out of the box, like, like you said, Brie. And so therefore, um, if... Edge is not delivering, if it doesn't support all the websites, if it doesn't support the web apps, we need to have something that does work. And so there's probably this tension internally, like, well, how much do we want to just, you know, make sure the users have a great experience versus having them grow and maybe going back to our earlier story, like within the overall corporate ecosystem? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, for, for a developer, it really makes the most sense. Like, from a development point of view, it's easiest if there's one browser, right? Like it's easier, it's easiest if there's one standard, one thing to support, one thing to program. I and I think this is a good move for Microsoft individually, but I don't know if it's a good move for the open internet overall. I mean, you know, one analysis I saw that I thought was really fair, it was kind of a you know, bringing this problem to, uh, you know, uh, Apple and Safari. And I exclusively use Safari except where situations make me not use Safari. Um, but the truth is a lot of people, they look at the iPad and they're like, I can't use that because Chrome is not natively built into it in the same way. So I can't access these Gmail suites, uh, very easily. So, I think in some ways, it's like this isn't a problem Apple caused, but it is Apple's problem to deal with, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, mm. like you've got to deal with this one way or the other. So um, it just it makes total sense for Microsoft. But I mean, personally, I love so many of the features in uh, Safari that I would be really sad if the world just moved to a bunch of uh, you know Chromium cl- clones for internet browsers. Tell me more about the features you love in Safari. <laughs> Actually, I, I have one immediately, which is the yeah. reader mode. You know, yeah, the, I love that, that thing that strips out all the the advertising that supports you know. That is an immediate that good point. <laughs> That's a really good point. I, <laughs> I stand, I stand corrected. <laughs> that feature, uh, something I do all the time because yeah. I'm running for office, and you know, it's like stuff happens. I need to know about. I'm frequently driving. I cannot tell you how many times a day I'll be driving, I'll pull up an article, and I will uh, put in reader mode, like you just said, and then drag down with two fingers to have it read it to me. Um, That is easiest with Safari. It works much better there than Chrome. And like that's a feature I... I would be so sad if I lost, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, also, this is getting very geeky. Um, I have been running for office. So I've not really paid attention to the latest uh, Mac OS updates. But, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, they made Safari really optimized with Mac OS to uh, shut down windows that you were not actively looking at. So it would just freeze in CPU. So if you had, like, say, a, a website for a media company that might have a lot of trackers in it, uh, you know, continuing to render things on screen, it would just lock that window out and save your battery that way. Um, at least a few years ago, if you were looking to get the most battery out of your MacBook, Safari really was the better choice. So one quick thing about this, there's sort yeah, of good please. news and bad news in terms of data. 
so on the desktop, we talked about um, so Chrome now, as of a couple of months ago, has sixty seven percent market share, and Microsoft's browsers combined have about eleven percent, seven percent for Internet Explorer, four percent for Edge. Now, about two and a half years ago, the beginning in January twenty fifteen. Instead of sixty-seven percent for Chrome, it was fifty-one percent. So Chrome has grown a lot in that time. But interestingly, IE, even though it now, or Microsoft, even though it went from one browser to two, so in theory you might have more market share. Its combined market share was twenty-one percent. So it went from twenty-one percent down to eleven percent in that time, where it was marketing multiple browsers. So on the one hand, you see the march of Chrome move on on the desktop. Safari, uh, um, Safari was constant at five percent that whole time. But again, that's because Macs, even though they sell better than they did fifteen years ago, is still you know. It's a tiny percentage of the overall desktop market. However, you'd think it would be different on the mobile side. So, on the mobile side, uh, it, uh, in August 2015, so three years ago, um, Chrome had 34% market share. Safari had 18%, so more than half. And then the rest were other uh, Android browsers, uh, you know, Opera, BlackBerry. So that was oh. three years ago. But then Chrome has gone in the space of three years from 34% on, uh, on, mo- on smartphones to 56%. And Safari is staying in place at 18 to 19%. So, and a lot of people have said that that's been really good for Apple because, you know, uh, even 17, 18% of like a billion smartphones is like a massive, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in the camp of people who have not bothered to. Yeah. Download yeah. Chrome on my iPhone. I just stick so with to Safari because yeah. <laughs> so to help Bree, like yes, I think there will be hundreds and hundreds of millions of people continue to use Safari over time. But there are probably billions of people who are using some Android de- derived um, browser because in addition to Chrome, there's something called UC browser and there's a separate yeah. Android browser. There's Samsung browsers. All of those are on Android, and I believe at. I'd be surprised if most of them didn't are only connected to Blink, which is the Chromium uh, rendering engine. Fair point. Wow. Well, let me also tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Eero. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system that is perfectly tailored to your home. Considering the high bandwidth world that we live in now, you need a distributed system in your home to make sure that you get the best High speeds available. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in a few minutes. It starts, my friends. It starts. Sorry, picture me. I'm on a. I'm. I'm on a porch. I think I'm on a porch. Yeah, and I'm very elderly. <laughs> it starts. It all begins with a second-gen Eero device. <laughs> Everything rolls out from there. It has three 5 gigahertz radios, which allows for increased speed and range, and it sits flat on any surface and connects either over Ethernet or wirelessly. Then you can easily expand the coverage throughout your whole home by adding in some Eero beacons. These are small devices that you plug directly into your wall, allowing you to reach every corner of your home. And Eero is now introducing Eero Plus, which is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all of the devices in your home from malware, phishing, and unsuitable content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you'll have powerful parental controls at your fingertips. 
And this includes ad blocking functionality to help improve load times for websites that are full of privacy invading ad tracking. It's also possible to have Eero Plus check the sites you visit against a database of millions of unknown threats to prevent you from visiting anything malicious. And Eero Plus also includes subscriptions to Encrypt.me for VPN protection, 1Password for password management, and Malwarebytes for antivirus solutions. Brianna, I turn to you as always as our resident haver of Eero device because you actually have a house. Yeah. It's, look, bottom line, I, when I buy something, I want it to be the best, right? Like, we put a lot of thought into, like, which Mac we're going to buy or which laptop. Uh, if you want the best internet, go buy Eero. It is the best router on the market by far. Uh, in my home, it's just like I plugged in a, a beacon, Eero beacon on every floor. Uh, I wanted it to reach all the way out to my car. So when I was plotting GPS, it would uh, do that without failing. Bloop, just plug it in. Uh, every now and then, I love the app on my phone. I go there and just make sure everything is online and other people haven't penetrated by network. They never have. Um, it's easy. It's fast. It's secure. It's the best product on the market by far. So like, it's a no-brainer. Well, 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 Rocket listeners. Do you want the best and do you want to never think about Wi-Fi again? You can get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus by going to Eero.com slash rocket and check out using the promo code rocket. That is E-E-R-O dot com slash rocket. And again, the promo code rocket. Thank you so much, Eero, for your support of this show and Relay FM. Well, well, well. Oh, it's the end of the show. We have wonderful <laughs> dessert. We have triple dessert. Oh, triple, my. Triple. It's, it's freaking triple dessert day. Triple dessert. How can we be so blessed? So I, th- I want to be very strict about our times because we're running over time. Yes. Um, Brie, do you want to go first with you? Enjoy your dessert. Tr- I want to talk dessert. about uh, Laura Loomer or Lilo Luma <laughs> or whatever her name was. So we have the rocket rule on this show. And as soon as I record this show, I'm going to close the computer and go off to bed. And something's going to happen. And we're going to want it to be on rocket. That's the rocket <laughs> rule. So last week, far right-wing, super racist activist, uh, Laura uh, Lomas. Uh, I like Lomas. <laughs> yeah, Lomas. Lorax. Lomas. Laura Lomas. You guys say it differently every time. Anyway, this far-right person, uh, Laura Loomer, uh, she uh, was very upset because she was banned for Twitter for saying things blatantly racist against Muslim people. And she chose to go down to Twitter and print her uh, tweet out on a giant poster board and chain herself to the door of Twitter. And in the master stroke of Twitter PR, the most brilliant thing they've ever done, uh, Twitter came out when the police came. They said, yeah, you know what? We don't really care. Let's find just leave it there as long as she wants. It was so good because <laughs> she she changed herself to one of the doors, uh, which yep. a, a good because fire hazard if she had been blocking the doors. But B, it just meant that they could go about their work day and come in and out of the door. And they were like, yeah, don't remove her. She could just stay. 
they're not yep. reinstating her Twitter account. So she they kind they they basically called her bluff, and she eventually, in the <laughs> evening of that day, left after telling my um, coworker and roommate Julia Alexander that she would pee on herself if necessary. But what? then she hadn't eaten or drunk anything all day. That was the best tweet. And it's even better wow. than that, Simone, because the police came and took away her microphone. They did. But then she got and a new megaphone. Twitter. Right. And then uh, the best part is she couldn't even leave. She lost the handcuff key and had to get the police to cut her out. So It was a farce. Uh, just, it was such just, a great example of yeah. not feeding the trolls, which I know yep. doesn't always work in our current era. It worked in the yep. 90s on message boards, but not now. Yep. But yep. in real world version of that. And also deplatforming by her losing her megaphone, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a related story. I don't want to get really deeply into this. But a story came out this week about uh, Milo Yiannopoulos uh, basically being $2 million in debt. And, um, Bless his soul. You know, I know we're really torn up about that. Works like that it is. Does. We're not going to get into it in a whole topic, but the fact is, as proven by these two cases, and I believe there are other ones as well. Yes, there are. Uh, you take away someone's platform, suddenly they're not as appealing to yep. like pe- people who want to give them money. Suddenly they have yep. no power to spread their evil hatred. So. That's what we learned. The serious takeaway from this, and then the fun takeaway from this is, ha, 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 ha. It was a great move. Just call their bluff. Like, right-wing people are not going to stand outside in New York all day. Oh, no. just not. Now, I can't remember what – I know what – one of the dessert, other desserts is okay. And it's one She-Rog. other super quick dessert. Uh, I got the PlayStation Classic. There uh, it is. Save your money. Do not buy this. It is horrible. Run away. It's not worth ten dollars. The controller is beyond cheap. The emulation for Tekken is beyond bad. Do not buy this product. That is so disappointing. And think about how bad it must be, given your love of the first PlayStation, oh. for you to have to say that. It's it tears it, Lisa. It's tearing me apart. Okay, third <laughs> dessert. You two and your love of Shira. Go. Ah, yes. Our full short version of our Shira dessert. <laughs> uh, so if she, she bleh, anyone familiar with the eighties cartoon Shira has probably also heard that Netflix is rebooting the show under showrunner Noelle Stevenson, who has previously done web comics such as Nimona and also um, comics like Lumberjanes. Uh, and the Netflix reboot came out a couple weeks ago. I watched it while I was feverish and dying. And it is really, really great. They have rebooted the show in a fantastic way, just as far as uh, I I think the art is mostly fantastic. There's some background art that's like less than good, but the main characters are very well drawn and conceptually they're very good. And in terms of plot, it centers the most tense, wonderful, delicious rivalry between former best friends, one of whom, Katra, is still with the Horde, and the other of whom, Adora, is She-Ra, because she found a magical sword and is now, like, a beautiful, wonderful princess hero. Um, And, like, I think you'll agree, Jeff, what Noelle Stevenson has done with this plot is so, so good. Oh, it's so delightful. And, you know, I have to say, I was... um 
I, I, when I was a kid in the 80s, I was a huge fan of He-Man. And uh, I never really got into Shira, so I didn't know the background. Uh, and so when I was watching the new series, which is, I agree with you, is 100% delightful. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, there's a good side and a bad side. But Adora, who turns into Shira, starts off with the Horde. Um, and I thought, oh, that's a clever, you know, move. So she has to make a turn and become join the good side. And there's tension and they have all that stuff. And I thought that was something new for the reboot. But then I was actually watching the original pilot from the 80s. And they did that then, too. So I was like, oh, wow, look at that. I didn't realize that. Um, yeah, they but- like they had some good stuff to work with. Oh, and- totally. Although the Catra, uh, so so Shira and Catra, as you said, are best friends in both versions. But in the original version, the '80s Catra is oh, not <laughs> not advised. Oh no! So I also went back and I watched I watched whatever the first episode from the yeah. '80s is that came up on YouTube. Um, and on one hand, I was I was very charmed because it, it's so earnest yes. and like they had this kind of PSA at the end that was very yes. earnest about treating people nicely so I really appreciated that it felt like the show had a nice heart on the other hand I was in- I was baffled and amused because it was nonsense the plot was <laughs> nonsense what uh, how dare you talk that way about 80s cartoons I'm Simone? so sorry to the people that I have disrespected <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this is this is my interest in the show. Um, this has a reputation of being a super queer show. Is it as queer as I'm hoping it is? It does like so much to basically normalize queer people within the universe within, I think, still the the bounds of a children's cartoon. Like there is one of a mainstream children's cartoon. Exactly. And so, so there are a lot of uh, same gender couples in the background of one episode where everyone's together at a big dance, and then uh, two of the princesses uh, are actually in a relationship, uh, Natasha and Spinnerella. I, I, yes. I think Spinnerella is That's her name. Right. They have such great names, um, and these are just sort of unremarked upon things. But they're there, and I think another element of it that's kind of that that is it's it's queer without being sexual. I want to be clear about that like like it it does so much for affection and right. closeness and vulnerability of feelings like there's in one of the episodes um Glimmer and Adora are in uh they're they go to a hot spring with Bo. And they're just chilling in the hot spring and they kind of fall asleep with Glimmer's head on Adora's shoulder. And it's just like like very intimate friend moment. And in another episode, uh, they meet this very swashbuckling pirate captain <laughs> who at one point um, rescues Bo, who is the, the wonderful guy friend of the trio, the main trio of heroes, like rescues him, swings with him in his arms, you know, away from danger. And it's a moment where Bo is just like, thrilled to be rescued in such a glamorous <laughs> manner and it's not like it's not saying uh 
Beppo is gay because he's yeah. being swooped up by this beautiful pirate man. It's saying, like, <laughs> it's okay to be a guy and to be rescued by this wonderful, glamorous yeah, pirate man. And to find and, jo- um, yeah, like... One thing I love about it is, um, you know, so I live in the Bay Area. You know, it's very LGBTQ friendly and such. And, you know, I, I, I'm involved in the community, although I am straight, but not narrow. But I, I will say one thing I noticed <laughs> since at the time I was a kid was, um, you know, when you have kids shows... There, there is a presumption of heterosexual relationships and then there's sort of that awkward crushes that characters sometimes get on each other but yes. you know it's not going to be like an adult romantic comedy much less any more than that right um so for example like gi joe like you know there was um scarlet had a ha, ha, was was paired with i think duke sorry yep, you're gonna take duke. away my 80s credit yeah credit. No, <laughs> sorry, that. That was but, that. but there was a presumption like you saw that re- relationship that was signaled to kids and something that ir- irritates me about uh uh cultural conservatives who are homophobic say oh kids aren't ready for you know the pres- understanding of gay and lesbian and bi relationships it's like yeah well a four-year-old isn't thinking about the mechanics or like the adult feelings or you know sex relationships evolved they just know that it's fine for a man and a woman to live together and marry and such and like you see that kids programs and one thing i love about shira going to where we say about this normalization is like they don't make a big deal out of it but you see in the way the characters get jealous of each other and how they have sort of little friend crushes on each other that it's not bound by the typical hetero norms, you know? Right. And I I love that aspect. Um, Because, like, I feel like it's available to all kids without putting a strong label on it. Um, And I think it's super... um, I think it's it's highly appropriate, not just for, you know, super woke progressive parents, of which my friends are mostly, but I think for parents of all types to just show kids that there's ways to relate to lots of different types of people. Um, It's great... And I think that's actually one way that boys are are a little like put in a straight jacket. Like they're not allowed to be vulnerable and connect with other boys in a certain way that they have to be, you know, if they get any connection, it has to be with girls, even when it's before like dating, when there's like yeah. you know, eight or nine or something like that. So I don't want to make it a whole political thing. It's just also a delightful show. No, no, no. It's a really it fun made me show. Think of that. Yeah. I don't want to okay. make it sound like it's homework. No, Gosh, no, it's no, super no. fun. But this is, this is where I've got to, I, this is what I think has, I haven't seen the show yet because I'm busy running for Congress, but people are talking <laughs> about the show like it's it's the greatest thing for queer representation ever. And I'm like, hello, Sailor Moon? Have you never seen? <laughs> so Sailor Moon, you've got season one, Zoisite and uh, uh, Kunzite for the first season. Gay couple right there rolling with Queen Barrel. Boom, right out of the gate. You've got all kinds of lesbian vibes with all the witches five. Um, you've got a ton of actual transgender characters. As I understand it, there aren't any in She-Ra, right? Uh, there's no canonical ones, but there are definitely fan theories that okay, I think well, have some okay. interesting well, there evidence are outright behind non-fan theory, okay. legit <laughs> trans people. In fact, the main villains of the final season are transgender, and then the uh, one of the members of the Dead Moon Circus – Fisheye, she is also a transgender woman. So there's, there's, I mean, it's mega queer. <laughs> like it's uh, like also the uh, sailor Neptune and sailor Uranus, like in the newest translation <laughs> that just came out, they didn't do this thing for American TV in the nineties where they made them cousins. They do. Yes. <laughs> and they did. That. And they just flat out say they're dating this time. And it's freaking wonderful. Thank goodness. So, so finally, that's, yeah, I don't think it now. lives up to yes. that level. 
level. Yeah, that's yeah. a high bar that you're setting, Brie. But um, it is a lot of fun, and okay. it's very good-hearted. So, so, so recognize where you came from. That's all I'm saying is appreciate the classics. Appreciate the elders, Respect. the classics. Right. Yeah, the heritage. <laughs> all right. Jeff, what are you up to this week? Well, um, I am doing some consulting work. I hadn't mentioned this before, but uh, I... After I left Microsoft, I was doing a bunch of AI and machine learning work on my own, and I've gotten together with a couple of folks to do some consulting for businesses that need help with their AI strategy and implementation. Uh, and so I'm doing some project work related to that, and also, also hopefully the weather clears up so I can go on some more bike rides. Yes. Bike rides in the Bay Area, you madman. <laughs> Those hills. Oh, it's delightful. I, I, I trained on those hills. Oh, my God. Bree, what are you doing this week? It is 19 degrees in Boston, so I will not be riding my bicycle ah. outside. I'll be raising, running for Congress this week, which means raising money. I'm planning a trip down to Washington, D.C. to talk to a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, I am continuing to run for Congress and adding staff this week. So, fun times. Yay. Well, I am doing a game of the year stuff. Oh, I'm making some wow. Yeah. I'm making some exciting videos uh about Return of the Oprah Din, uh, which I think is, is personally one of my top games of the year. Um and some other videos as well for Polygon's YouTube channel. So that's so PlayStation Classic, that's game of the year, right? Yep, absolutely. Every <laughs> oh. single game that was on it is the game of the year. Now, serious question: What what is your game of the year? Your personal game? Can, of the is, year? is she allowed to uh, disclose on our podcast? I can't tell you what polygons are, but I could tell right, you how I Simone voted. Simone Rochefort, yeah, the Simone Rochefort. Honestly, um, I I did. I believe my vote, my number one slot, went to God of War. And really? now I would take that back because Return of the Oprah Din is so, so good. Um, I had not finished it when I voted. It still did make my top 10 just based on the time that I had spent with it. But now I finished it. Now I'm done with it. Oh, my God. It is incredibly good. I'll, I'll be happy to talk at length about it on a a later episode but it's a, we'll a mystery that. game we'll that. Yeah. yeah and it's it's really fantastic I, I don't i would be honest and say out of all the games i personally played this year i can't think of anything that i think would reach that caliber i have games that i've enjoyed this year like the new tomb raider and spider-man yeah but i don't think i've played anything this year that i personally feel pushes the industry forward mm. um but maybe it's just because i haven't played as many games as i used to i think do. that's the main that's pretty much the consensus about spider-man right is that like this is a very solid game but nothing about it is particularly like revolutionizing things like right. it's fun it's a good game it's a really good game but yeah yeah all right hey uh jeff where can we find you online uh at twitter you can find me at jeff huang that's j-e-f-f-h-w-a-n-g and if you need help with ai go to www.mindscale.ai all right brie what about you uh, you can find me at Brianna Wu at twitter.com. Whoa. Uh, Amazing. It's freaked out. We also got the uh, website Brianna Wu for Congress. We stole that from Gamergate. We got it Ooh. back. Very pleased awesome. about that. Uh, so you can, or you can find me on Facebook at developer Brianna Wu. 
Uh, also very important, uh, Q4 is a tough time to fundraise for any uh, candidate. And right now, if you want to support my campaign, this is a very important quarter for us. So you can go to supportbrianna.com. Wow, Bri, I noticed your website is powered by Squarespace. Yes, it is for right now until we move to NGMGP van. So, hey, oh, all right. Whoa. You can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar. And uh, even though I haven't logged in in like two weeks, and you can find me at youtube.com slash polygon where all my videos live. If you like this podcast, please do consider reviewing it on Apple Podcasts or sharing it with a friend who wants the rundown on all the stuff that Facebook's doing. Please don't sell us like that. We're, we're not a Facebook show. We don't talk about Facebook every week, I promise. No, we will Just not. Like- unless Mark Zuckerberg shoots somebody, we will oh, no. not oh, my God. talk about Facebook next oh, no. week. Please, so. Mark, keep it together. Okay, thank you, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated 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 yeah